welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is a conversation with Amy McGuire. Amy is a nutritionist who primarily works with the Tipperary Senior Football Team. She also works in a managerial position down here in TUS. We're in Thurless today for this conversation. This conversation went in very different ways all over the place, talking about communicating with athletes, staying in your lane, knowing when to refer out, being vulnerable as a practitioner and as a coach. We also touched on GA players and energy availability, eating disorders, as well as pre-game nutrition, as well as post-training nutrition. So loads in there for you guys today. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Amy. Welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Thank we you. have had a good chat there in our preparation, but we're after calling you in to the college today to have this conversation. Really excited about this conversation. But what's on the agenda for the rest of the day? And how are you doing today as well? I'm flying it. Great. I'm delighted to be asked to do this. Um, what's on my agenda for the rest of the day? I actually have some work to do, some papers to write. Well, a paper to write. Um, so it's, this is a nice break from the grind <laughs> nice what is the paper on and what stage of the writing process are you at so i am literally just tidying up some of my results for one of the papers that come out with my phd um so i'm doing looking at the incidence of reds in endurance athletes um and some of the kind of endocrine uh, effects that that can have as well so it's very sciencey very boring um but the findings will will without a doubt be you know, to be practical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why you're doing research as well, like is so that we have something to anchor our process to so that we can go and practically apply principles that actually make change after that. Yeah. So in relation to REDS and in relation to your previous studies in regards to energy availability, obviously that study was on endurance athletes, but you have studied quite extensively and have experience in team sports as well, Gaelic mm-hmm. Games. Are there many differences between the two in terms of how the athletes perceive energy intake? Okay, well, I suppose you are always going to have with endurance athletes because of the long slog, I suppose, that they have to put in with regards to training and then the event itself. They are going to automatically have, I suppose, a bigger awareness of their requirements um, in terms of calories, mm-hmm. um, in comparison to GAA. So because a match for a training session might be, you know, maximum 90 minutes, um, the value on particularly carbohydrates doesn't seem to be there. But at the same time, the requirement for carbohydrates for an endurance athlete is much bigger. So actually, on average or on the whole, what we have found is that neither group of athletes actually reaches their targets for particularly carbohydrates they all tend to and now this is this is just looking at the mean or the average of groups but they all do tend to overconsume protein um if you were to really think about social media over the last number of years it's been all protein 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 like even um sports snacks or sports supplements you know, you can get everything now from a protein cookie um, to a to protein water. You know, there's there's loads of different. It's all protein, protein, protein. So, 
you know, it, it goes without saying that athletes are going to think that protein is the most important nutrient. Um, when in fact, it's, it's, it's important. It's a macronutrient. Of course, you're going to need it in big quantities, but carbohydrates are king when you want to exercise, when you want to do any kind of movement that requires high energy. Um, so there are some similarities. The other thing I, I suppose I found was the endurance athletes, regardless of their energy intake, are all at risk of you know reduced bone accumulation so they are all at a greater risk of having poor bone density for example um, and that kind of comes down to the fact that they mightn't do as much weightlifting they don't see the value in resistance training they don't see the value in plyometrics or anything that's going to accelerate them above that minimal uh, stress threshold GA players, on the other hand, you know, they will have two to three resistance training sessions a week. They obviously do a lot of jumping, landing um, work as part of the actual game itself. So they don't tend to have the same level of, I suppose, bone implications um, as the endurance athletes would. So there are... Even in the female athlete. Even in the female athlete, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually... Uh, so when I did my PhD initially, so when you're doing your PhD, some um, strategies or journeys of your PhD require you to do a kind of an interim oral exam. And I had gathered data on endurance athletes, male endurance athletes, male GA and female GA. But when I got to my interim oral exam, the examiner was like, uh, Amy, you're going to have to take out something. Your PhD is too big. Mm. So... She said, hold on to it and do, you know, a postdoc or, or, you know, publish the papers at, at a later time. So that's my whole PhD is only in males. But now I'm actually afterwards, I'm looking at the female data. So one of the studies I did on the female athletes, what, and I did Camogie and I did GAA, was I looked at their energy availability. So have they enough calories after exercise for basic physiological functioning? But as part of that, I also looked at their performance measures. So we did um, a yo-yo test. We did um, hamstring solo work just to test the strength of the hamstrings. We did CMJ. We did 10 and 20 meter sprints. And really interestingly, those who had low energy availability, so who didn't seem to have enough calories for basic physiological functioning in females, also had lower power output. Yeah. So there was a strong correlation there between. Not really strangely power. though, when you think about it, isn't it? No. Well, when you look at the energy system that that jump or you know yeah. power looks at, it's primarily the phosphocreatine system, which is three to five seconds. Maybe you'll get ten seconds out of it. So actually, you don't use carbohydrates. You use stored energy in the form of of phosphocreatine. Yeah. So actually, it was surprising enough. But in terms of chronic overtraining. Yeah. Now, that's a, that's a different. So I'm very, very, very careful <laughs> about not mixing up yeah. low energy availability and overtraining because both syndromes are actually very, very different. Yeah. Um, you could have low energy availability at any particular time point. So you could have it for a day. You could have it for an hour. You could have it chronically. But it. Just because someone is being overtrained doesn't mean that they have mm -hmm. low energy availability. Okay, well, maybe I should extrapolate that out a tiny bit in terms of chronic overtraining, but not recovering from the amount of training stress that you've been put on yeah. uh, or put under rather than just having too much training stress. Effectively, it's kind of similar, but 
there is some nuance to that. So that was probably what I was referring to. And in terms of if you're not recovering from your training session, it's going to impact and implicate your tr- next training session. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so in relation to when they're training those maximal outputs, if they're already under recovered mm-hmm. as a result of either not intaking enough calories or whether it's simply as we put there uh, doing slightly more training than they can recover from in terms of stress volume um, they're not going to continually improve their maximal outputs in terms of power output um, which is the bottom line whereas those that are putting themselves in a position where they have higher energy availability they're going to be more likely to consistently have good training sessions which will then hopefully uh, drive the curve up in terms of their power outputs over time yeah so it's consistency really is what I was referring to yeah yeah no Um, I I know where you're coming from and the bottom line is if if your energy if your energy availability is low then you're probably going to be at a higher risk of not recovering from your training sessions yes and what we also have seen anecdotally and it's something that we need to start moving from day long energy availability measurement to maybe hourly or phases. So you're looking and seeing, is the athlete getting in enough carbohydrates within 30 minutes or within two hours? And those who are not replenishing their glycogen stores very soon after exercise, are they actually more at risk Mm -hmm. than you could have your overall carbohydrate intake could be fine. But if you're actually, and it happens because players are, their their stomachs are not able for it. Mm -hmm. Their palates still haven't quite readjusted post-training. You know, so like what we do know is that when athletes are exercising, their taste buds become hypersensitive. So for example, they might be absolutely fine to drink Lucasade Sport before training, but actually during a match or even afterwards, it can, it's very potent. The taste is very potent. Um, so actually they can't stomach it they can't their stomachs are so tight from adrenaline causing you know the, the muscles to contract so what happens then is they can't eat so that that window sometimes goes fasted mm-hmm. and what we're what, what we need to now look at from the research side of things as opposed to just anecdotally is if they miss out on that two-hour window for carbohydrate um, regeneration or, or, or replenishment, replenishment well, then is that actually going to have more of a detrimental effect than looking at the overall 24 hours or week long, whatever, you know, whatever it actually is. So, but what I, what it, what it was also interesting, and I suppose I probably should have been a little bit clearer as well as the jump height was correlated, but the yo-yo test wasn't. Mm-hmm. And because the yo-yo test is seen as an aerobic test where carbohydrates are used primarily you would imagine that if the person is not getting in enough energy that their yo-yo test would be. But actually what we do know is, and this is this is where it all stems from, is locomotion or exercise becomes a priority for the body. And that's why REDS or low energy availability is so, so sinister when it gets to that chronic stage because you will have the energy to do the exercise but your bones will start to become affected. Your menstrual cycle will start to become affected, which inevitably may affect your reproductive um, system, your digestive system, your immunity. You know, there's so many different things that can become affected, but you might be performing out of your skin. So it's really, really, really important that 
practitioners and sometimes it ends up where the SNCs need to get involved in this as well because if you're looking at certain club levels, for example, where they don't have a nutritionist, if the SNC is working off, you know, in a silo, and I'm and I also don't like when SNCs overstep the mark with nutrition, don't get me wrong. But I do think that we all need to be fully informed of what these the dangers of this can be. Because what I from my experience over the years is that sometimes the SNC can be the first port of call. So a player will have access to the SNC three or four times a week. Of course, they're going to talk to them about injuries, nutrition, SNC, and really, you know, the injuries and the nutrition is probably outside of their remit. But there are are certain things that they can give guidance on. And then they need to be able to be like, well, actually, that sounds like it could be a little bit worse than what it is. I have someone here in my contacts list that I can refer you to who's really good at this um, or can help you with this. You know, and anyone who's worth their salt will actually, of course, they're going to do that. So, I, I, you know, the, the there's lots of different things that have come out of the research. And I'm really glad that you said, you know, about the, the practicalities of it, because it's like telling a player you need to eat. 1.5 or 2 grams of protein per kg they don't go into the meat counter in a butcher and they say, don't even know what that is no they don't they don't know what that looks like so they're not going to go into a butcher and say hey um hi can i have 300 grams of protein <laughs> now maybe maybe that that analogy is probably the easiest one because okay you could give them out 200 grams of mince and they're probably fine but like same with carbohydrates you know you have to make it you have to make it practical but it does happen as well especially with those younger athletes and when they don't well not just younger athletes but when there is an absence of nutritional knowledge as well if you tell them 300 grams of protein they'll go away and they'll get 300 grams of chicken breast and they'll think that's 300 grams of protein they don't understand yet because they don't have the knowledge yet so that does come with time but what you touched on there about having a a wide and vast knowledge base of a, a number of topics I think is going to become a prerequisite to being an effective practitioner, no matter what scope or niche you're in, whether it's nutrition, whether it's uh, physio, whether it's physical therapist, SNC. And like, if you look at the SNC, you're going to have requirements in terms of return to play. Mm. And if you have requirements in terms of return to play, then that is on the rehab performance spectrum. So you've got to understand what your coworker, your physio or physical therapist is doing at their end of the spectrum. And there's got to be an effective transition across that spectrum. As well as that, you're going to have to be able to communicate with that practitioner. So your communication skills are going to have to be very, very uh, high as well or to a high level. As well as that, you're going to have to understand the psychology of injury and re-injury. As well as that, you're going to have to understand what the athletes do outside the walls of the gym or the pitch is very, very important in terms of nutrition and in terms of their sleep quality and recovery. So you've got to understand that as well. And for this reason and these reasons, it's why I don't buy when you're in class and you're doing your undergraduate when somebody says, oh, well, I'm not really going to bother going to nutrition today because I want to be an S&C coach. So it doesn't really apply to me. You've got to have some level of understanding of all of these things, but also be willing to say, do you know what? That's a very specific question. I don't really think I have the answer for that right now, but there is somebody that I could ask or refer you out to. And that's why you've got to network as a practitioner and you've got to have a vast network with a number of different, um, perspectives because you don't know it all and it's one of the benefits i suppose to referring out and it's one of the reasons that over the last year with 
the co- the players that I'm working with online and in person, we have outsourced um, for presentations and for regular meetings with members of the Nutricate team, with uh, Tom Coleman, who's a sleep expert, and David Gray, who is a rehab expert, hamstring, calf, ankle, who is coming in this week as well. And that is because I know as a practitioner that if the athletes have questions about those topics there is somebody better qualified than me to answer those questions that's a difficult thing to navigate as a practitioner isn't it because as we touched on off air when you're at a certain stage of the dunning-kruger effect you know everything because there's an insecurity there that you really know that you don't know everything yeah i i feel like i'm so far past that point (laughs) like as in not in it just also like you get to a stage where you have so much else to do that I'm like that's outside of my remit that's I'm not that's not in my box you know plus as well when when you start working with um an interdisciplinary team you know so particularly at inter-county level we are all there to do a job mm-hmm. and we all have we like the season could start and you could have close to 50 players to deal with um and and you know they just as much as their football or their hurling is really really important all of those other things are really important as well. So actually you have, I remember somebody saying to me before, oh yeah, I don't really worry about the panel until it's actually cut to the squad. I don't really do too much with them. And I'm kind of saying, but you could have such an impact. Like you could be the difference between a player being like cut mm-hmm. or a player making it on to the 35 for, for you know, for, for the training panel that, that proceeds. But I've just, I have always been very much, I'll stay in my own lane. Now, in saying that, I come from my background as a sports scientist where I specialized in, in sport and exercise nutrition, but I would have a very strong knowledge base. Like I did my degree in exercise and health, which was kind of exercise science. Um, I did my master's in sports performance, um, postgraduate diploma in nutrition, PhD in nutrition, um, and then all the other things you do on top of that as well. So I would, but I don't try and... I've, I don't know, maybe I did in the past, but I, I, I don't ever remember a time where I'm telling the S&C what to do or I'm telling the physio what to do or I'm, you know, but it's one of my bugbears when, and I've told people, stay in your, stay in your lane, <laughs> you know. As you get older and as you, and I don't mean that in age, I mean as in, in training, in, in your experience, in your career, as you, as you develop, you start to hone your own skills so much, you don't have the time, the energy or the capacity to be also trying to tell them what to do in terms of their rehab or their, you know, I, I, it's never something that I remember. Maybe I was one of those people and I, and I know kind of a later on we'll talk about the questions that, you know, maybe what, what you would have told yourself when you were 18. I think I always felt like I actually didn't know enough. Oh, right. So I never would have wanted to be caught out in giving information that was wrong, you know, so I, and that's why I've gone and done all of this you know, I, I'm probably going to be in college forever. <laughs> like, well, given know, the role you have now, I would job, say so. I hope I will be actually, yeah. Um, so, because the day job's great, but, you know, I, I don't know, but it does happen. And it is a Dunning-Kruger effect. But what I will say in regards to that advice around staying in your lane, I think you've got to develop the general skills first before you become really, really effective in your niche. Or, uh, sorry, not before as you become really, really effective in your niche. And then once you niche down and you know what you're doing, 
that's when you can do that to a really really high level and that's when you should be focusing on what you can do really really well so when you're younger I would say because I was one of those that did a sports science degree as well like and hadn't a clue what I wanted to do so one of the really beneficial things for me I would say when I did my internship in Blackrock College was Daniel Moore said to me right I want you to be the assistant SNC coach but you're also going to be head SNC coach of a number of different teams also I want you to do a bit of speed coaching with me agility coaching I want you to do some skills coaching because you like rugby uh, coaching as well and I want you to take this small number of athletes and see if you can help them in regards to what they're doing in nutrition and in terms of their habits because they're young athletes so that gave me the opportunity to kind of test out and see what I was good at while also not making huge changes because he was overseeing everything that I was doing and not making um or causing the athletes to have any maladaptive habits and also not providing them with any information that was probably uh not to a high degree because we used to have regular meetings where I'd have to present to him how everything was going mm. so but that's accountable ve- yeah I'm accountable so but that's very very hard to find for some young coaches as well yeah. and young practitioners yeah and I think when a player or an athlete whatever way you want to call him um they ask you a question and there's two there's sometimes two elements to it sometimes people don't like to not know the answer but the other thing as well is that they don't like to have a player walk away with no answer mm. Because, you know, you might say, oh, you'll have to ask a nutritionist about that or I can give you the name. But sometimes it's it's the, the part of you that probably got into the role in the first place was that you wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. So if a player asks you a question and you feel like you shouldn't, you've, you've an idea of the answer, but you're not 100% certain and you probably should outsource it. But you don't want to leave the player with that question unanswered, you know, because you feel like you're not helping them. So sometimes I don't think it's an intentional or it's an ego building thing. I actually think it's actually the part of you that has the best of intentions in wanting to help somebody. Um, and you have a fair idea where it is. Like even even in, in nutrition, like when you're talking about honing your skills, like when you become a practitioner, you become, you know, a practitioner in a lot of different areas. But as you like, OK, I'm, I'm primarily involved in GA now, would have a, a, a good background in terms of endurance. I've done a little bit on weight class as well. But actually, the weight class, if I, went, if I was working with a weight class athlete like that now, I'd, pro- I'd go back and I'd, you know, revisit all of the things that I've done in the past, look at podcast conferences. I try and stay as up to date as possible. Even as a nutritionist, you're talking about like being a sports scientist and narrowing it down to being a nutritionist. But even as a nutritionist, you actually become more filtered. Mm-hmm you know um and even as a an snc performance yeah. coach like so you're talking about speed training and yeah. all that so they're they're all different elements there as well like you know you'd have even in in a research capacity for from a, a nutrition perspective you'd have people who are really strong in research in areas of the menstrual cycle energy availability you'd have protein like you'd have the, the gods of protein you know you'd have the ones who look at the low carbohydrate diets um so it's it's gas that uh, the more you know the more you actually don't know because you become so and that's okay and i was just thinking as well in terms of the more you know the more potential answers that you give to the athlete that are never really concrete because yeah. when they ask you that question in time you're probably like well look maybe it could be this it could be this as well it could be that 
I think or I believe it's most likely going to be this. But you know what? I don't know the exact answer. So I'm going to refer you out to somebody that might be able to yeah, answer that. Or and if you give that to them and you actually show that you're human and you don't know everything... For some of the younger athletes, it can be a bit frustrating because they're like, oh, just tell me the answer. But yeah. the older ones are like, okay, well, look, it's actually a person and he's not fobbing me off and telling me that he knows everything and giving me a blasé answer that isn't actually the answer. And they actually respect that a little bit more, I think. Yeah, And I, <laughs> I think as well as a nutritionist, probably one of the most frustrating answers that you give anybody is they ask you a question and you say to them, it depends. Yeah. Because it always does. You know, can I eat this? Is it okay to have that? Is this too much? Is this too much? And it's always contextual. You know what I mean? Like, it depends on what the context is. Uh, so you're saying, mm, that depends. You know, I'd say if the if any of the players I worked with were to take me off, my answer is probably, hmm, goes a hmm before it. I'd say it's the exact same I have to, yeah, yeah, you have to kind of think about it and you have to give them scenarios when it's okay and when it's not you know so I try to keep things very simple when I'm when I'm working with athletes we have strategies and we have systems that we follow and it's it's really just to keep things simple but if they veer off that it's not the end of the world you know we have a kind of a blueprint that we work off and this is what we do on match day this is what we do pre-training post-training with inter-county it's great you have a lot of control over you know we have a chef we have you know we've all that kind of stuff we've we've pre and post-match nutrition you know we've we've pre-training nutrition sometimes depending on the length of the session we'll have intra-training nutrition post-training nutrition so you do have a lot of that and then it's about building habits in the players so that you can trust them that they're going to make the right choices then when they're at home because actually we probably eat 21 meals 21 snacks a week you know depending on the pattern that you decide to eat um and drink and the players, you might only have control over a maximum nine of those. So you need to have, the players need to trust what you're saying to them. Um, but they also need to have autonomy, that they can make choices and make decisions. Like I had one of the younger players a couple of weeks ago say to me, can you not just give me a meal plan? <laughs> and the rest are kind of looking going, oh, he did not just ask that. You know, and I'm saying, no, because it doesn't teach you anything. You know, if, if, if for whatever reason you're not on the squad next year, I've, I haven't taught you anything then. You're going to eat off that meal plan for the next 20 years. Well, actually, there was a player. He's not on the panel anymore. And he came in and he said, Amy, I've been, I've been following this since I got selected for this panel. And I said, where did you get that? No, it wasn't. It wasn't like suitable to the level he was going to be training at. But he told me that back about 10 years ago, he had a personal trainer. And this is what he was following. Yeah. I was like, well, if you really want to eat 10% broccoli for your breakfast that's okay that's fine but you you don't what need what eat broccoli for breakfast yeah yeah, yeah you know these in fairness I used to do that the so mad things that 16 people, I'd say mad jokes like yeah. that you know the chicken rice and broccoli and what they miss out as well and I think I've touched oh, on this the it, fun of food the, but the fun of food but also if you eat that strictly and adhere to that specific uh, diet which I see probably more so in the male players that I've worked with than yeah. the female. Like, sure, oh, well, sure, I'm getting my veg. Yeah, but you're getting a very specific type of veg for 12 months of the year. You're yeah. not eating 
it, like the amount of micronutrients that you need to or vitamins and minerals like because it's so hyper specific yeah and then they'll just say but i'll take a multivitamin yeah exactly um yeah some of them have all the answers but yeah. actually none of the answers yeah. um yeah look it can be it can be very like i have worked i've i've, I've been involved you know you, you'd be dealing with hotels and restaurants and some of them haven't ever worked with with teams you know so you might end up in the back arse of beyond at a match you know and you're kind of stuck for this restaurant or hotel who's never really catered for a team before but have an idea of what they think someone should eat so you might put whatever on the menu and they'll be like they're allowed to eat that like gravy or something after a game and they're you sure you want gravy and i'm like yeah i'm pretty sure because they're people (laughs) they're you know we won't have gravy before the match but we we'll have it afterwards it's absolutely fine and they're kind of going oh my god Jesus, and you won. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you won the gravy. Yeah, we won. The gravy is the, yeah, you know, so you, people have this perception that you know you have to eat clean, clean. Mm. I hate it. Like, so what does that mean? You know, what it means does it mean? No taste in your food whatsoever, <laughs> and no recipes. It's just like separate your protein, your veg, and your carbohydrate, and that's all you eat. Right? Like, well. Obviously, I'm kind of taking the piss and being ironic no, no, here, I but know. that is kind of what people think of when they think eat clean, and that's no crack. No, oh my god, it's so. Then you have miserable players and athletes that they're never going to perform well. Well, no, do you know what happens is their focus ends up shifting towards that kind of. They're so obsessed with what they're eating, that to the expense of, you know, what like their sleep their their social skills even their football or their hurling because actually they're so worried about my food and and is it clean enough and oh god what are they going to have after training um for dinner or for supper you know it can it takes over and they're instead of thinking about like just their normal day-to-day life even on a rest day when they shouldn't be thinking about sport at all they're thinking about their food you know they're obsessing they're obsessing because it's something they, they have huge control over so it's very like I would also test my athletes for disordered eating um that was one of the findings that came out from my first PhD study which was 20% of Gaelic football players are at risk of disordered eating that's particularly those who are on the subs bench so they're not on the first 15 how does that compare to the general population in terms of risk uh I don't know I haven't done I didn't have a control group I just worked with within the the one in five seems quite high though and would you believe so i was one of the examiners for my phd is is head of nutrition for sport ireland and she said to me i guarantee you she said that's actually higher was that the study on female endurance or was it male and female and was there a difference between the risk factors in male versus female um for disordered eating in terms of, sorry, not the risk factors, but in terms of risk. So were the males more at risk than the females or the females more at risk than the males? The, the difficulty with comparing them is that I didn't use the same tool because the tool for females hasn't been developed or, va- well, it has been developed, it hasn't been validated in males. So the first version of it that they did attempt to validate, the disordered eating section of it was seen to be invalid in terms of how it actually measured it. So I couldn't measure like for like. Okay. Um, so there's actually a completely different questionnaire and it's rated and scored completely differently. So I only looked specifically at disordered eating um, in male GAA players. So I 
haven't actually broken down each of the, the questionnaire that I use in the females has loads of different components to it and disordered eating is one of them but I actually haven't looked at I haven't done the analysis on that particular one yet because I'm not doing I'm not doing it's not apples versus apples so I yeah. can't actually do a cross comparison unfortunately you had enough to do though so we'll forgive I've you had that <laughs> but it's that was so that was the percentage for the male 20 yeah and out of that they were all they were, none of them were in the first 15 so it's it's the I need, I'm not making it onto the first 15 so it's and they look at things that they can control so they look at things like I need to get bigger or I need to lose body fat you know what I mean so that that's where all those negative thoughts were were all stemming from so it was one of the most I felt it was a really surprising finding but as I said the head of Sport Ireland nutrition in Sport Ireland was like doesn't surprise me and I actually would I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher I'm interrupting this podcast to let you guys know that I have three spots available for coaching in July. This is for online coaching in the PD Performance Premium Pack or hybrid coaching if you would like more in-person coaching. I've been doing a lot of work with people in person in regards to return to play, development of speed and change of direction. So if you would like to grab one of those spaces, make sure to drop me a DM with the word coach immediately. These spaces will potentially go quite quickly and then I will start getting people into the program for August. So do not wait. I don't want you to miss out. Now, back to the podcast. In terms of your practice then, to reflect on what we've just spoke about in terms of the psychology of fueling, how many of your conversations or how much of your conversations refer back to what you know about the psychology of how an athlete is approaching how they fuel their body? Yeah, so I would first of all, this so nutrition is never going to be, no one's going to be fixed, right? And it's not going to happen in the first season, okay? Sometimes people come into you and they, they think they've got really good habits and they're the ones who have the red flags for me because they're the ones who have already gotten maybe some level of disordered eating patterns often, right? Then the ones who come in and haven't got a, you know, they haven't a clue, you know, th- that's absolutely fine because you're working this kind of with a blank canvas and you're working with someone who psychologically doesn't place as much emphasis not necessarily value but as much emphasis on food so you've you've a little bit more leeway to try and mold them into a relaxed systematic approach to eating in terms of the the conversations and how I approach the conversations so it's very much dependent on one of the biggest the difficulties can be when a player gets injured okay so if you have a red flag player who's someone who's very conscious of their food intake um gets injured that can be really difficult um I've had I have a really good relationship with the players in that I speak to them every week one-to-one as a group we've great banter um and I've been with them so long that I I they, there's a massive trust between us so I will have a frank very very frank conversation with the player so there was a player we have we have a, an athlete who got injured and he was a red flag player I would test their hydration their their, um, fluid losses every training session so they weigh in and they weigh out this particular player had a little bit of a fixation on the number on the scales so when he got injured 
I no longer weighed him in and out. Now I said to him, I didn't, I didn't take the, I didn't take the option from him, but I was very honest. I said, I'm afraid that you are going to become too fixated on the number. You are injured. You need to maintain your calorie intake. You don't need to decrease it. You can decrease your carbohydrate intake, but we'll up your protein and we'll up your fat a little bit so that you're maintaining your calories. I said to him, I don't think it's a good idea for you to be weighing in and weighing out. We already know on average what your sweat loss is. So we can just work off that. It's only for six weeks. It's not going to be the end of the world. I said, but it's up to you. If you stand on the scales, it's fine. If you don't stand on it, it's also fine. And he was like, no, I, I, okay, no, I, I respect and I appreciate where you're coming from. That wouldn't have happened in the first season. He would have probably kicked, I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have said it like that. I would have been a little bit more cautious. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation with him. You didn't have him. the relationship yet. I wouldn't have, I didn't have the trust. I didn't have it in him. He didn't have it in me. And I, I trusted that how he was going to take what I said, because it was our fourth season together. Um, he trusted that I was coming from a place that put him at the center in terms of this is what's most important for you right now. So for that six, eight weeks, he didn't he didn't weigh in. He didn't weigh out. That was absolutely fine. The minute then he got back fully back training, we went back to it again. And that 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 can be really difficult with players. That can be really difficult when they have to reduce their energy output, but yet they still need those little extra calories. And if they're a red flag player who's like, I'm losing control right now because I my identity as a footballer is starting to become come into question because I'm now injured. I don't have an identity as an injured football player. I'm only at my best. I'm only the best person I can be when I'm a fully fit football player. And that's sometimes the difficulty. When they don't have an identity as anything else. They're not the person, the man. They're the football player. And when that doesn't, then nutrition is one of the first things that gets a bit of a hammering. Because they're like well, I can control you. I can control what I put in my mouth. You know, so that can be hard. That's where the psychology, the psychological conversations, um, they come in thick and heavy. And I can attest to that being a, a former athlete who did experience injury and probably when I was younger, as alluded to a second ago, had some of them, those red flags in terms of disordered eating. But the piece of language that was probably used quite often there that often with those type of athletes you're trying to guide them to stop using as much is I have to I have to do this I have to do that I have to do this to put me in, in the best position to perform if I don't do this then everything's going to fall asunder and I'm going to be useless and I'm never going to make the team and that's the end of me and the more you can attempt to teach those athletes that look it's a regularity it's not black or white so if we do the right things more often than not then we're all good mm -hmm. it's creating habits that put us in a position to be more likely to do it but still having a little bit of leverage to kind of look i'm going to enjoy myself here tonight with my girlfriend or my boyfriend i'm going to go and have a couple of drinks with the squad after the game because the season's over. It doesn't matter. I can enjoy myself slightly. A couple of, not go hammer it dogs, but you, like equally as an athlete, you've got to appreciate and enjoy those moments with the team as well. But it's when there's that black and white thinking in the athlete that they're probably going to flag a lot in terms of being those red flag athletes that you were talking about. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. And I do think as well that when they will also model a lot of their behaviors off what you put in front of them. 
you know so I definitely like the, the first season I would have been probably a little bit more strict in terms of the way I thought of it which did make sense at the time was well I I as a nutritionist have control of a certain number of meals and snacks so I'll make them as healthy nutritious and goal orientated as I can and then at least if they make mistakes outside of that they'll the damage will be minimized a little bit but actually that was me nearly me telling them subliminally I don't trust you you know so we so in our first season um we won the Munster final historical it was amazing um yes (laughs) absolutely um but actually covid came in the middle of it so we didn't end up playing until november which would be very unusual yeah so we we got together in the october we had kind of five or six maybe five games in the league played which were like quite strict you know you're with the team and you're trying to embed habits and lay down the law and i if you've ever met any of the football players they're probably going to tell you i rule with an iron fist to a degree um so but then we had our kind of COVID break and then we we got back into the swing of things. And after, they had just done so amazing in general. Um, the work they put in in the off season on their own. Like, you remember you couldn't train. You couldn't train together. They did, they did so much on their own, cooking, training. So when we won the Munster final, we actually weren't allowed to go to a restaurant. You weren't allowed to have group gatherings. So if outside of the dressing room. So we were meant to go to this hotel and then the hotel pulled out and said, if you're not staying over, we can't feed you. So we were saying, oh no, what are we going to do? So I said, kind of as a joke, joke, but if you say yes, I'm going to run with this. I said, can we get pizza? So we got Domino's delivered to Porky Cueve incognito. And, ah, well, it was four years ago. No one's going to give out to me now, but, um, so we we snuck them in in a car. So we got a car in. Um, someone went and, and collected all the pizzas, drove them in the car, brought them into the dressing room. Everyone got wedges and sides and pizzas. And but for the players, they were kind of like, "Are they for us?" <laughs> and I was saying, "Yeah, you give us pizza. Yeah, we're allowed pizza. Yes, <laughs> you know." So you do things like that. Last year we got promoted, and we knew before the league finished that we were after being promoted. You know, maybe two or three games left. And it was a home um, game, which was fantastic. You know, Central Stadium is is just brilliant to to win in. Um, so what we did was our chef. We couldn't bring pizzas in because we have a we have our own chef, whatever. So, but the chef was like, "I'll open up the chip van." So we did burgers, garlic chip, curry chips. You know, and the, the, I mean, now it was so funny because you fast forward a couple of years and the players are like, "Oh, brilliant!" There was no questioning like, "Are we allowed to have those chips? Are we?" A, because it was it's all context so they were you know and it's not that we're treating it like treat food or i don't like that all those kind of labels but they were it was just normal it was it was part of yeah go on sure we'll do it just reflecting on that and from the conversation we had earlier in that my background was rugby and transition into gaa i see a huge difference there in terms of post rugby match players are okay because they know that they've expended so much energy that we just need to get calories in Mm. here like it's not that important as long as i hit my specific targets and also it's an opportunity for us all to eat together and have that communal environment yeah but it also i feel as though from my three years in working with gaa athletes 
the difference in rugby and GAA and potentially it's because of the higher degree of contact in rugby is in GAA from both a player and a coach perspective there can be a real fixation on body fat and body composition whereas in rugby it's very much like okay we want to get our body composition to an optimal level but we're going to need a little bit of body fat as well mm. to in order to absorb those hits and those contacts whereas in the GA, it's very much like I'm going to get as lean as I can because I need to get around the field. And oh my God, I'm not going to eat that after the match because I've just expended so much energy that this is now an opportunity for me to reduce my body fat. But that's not the way you should be thinking of yourself no. as an athlete whatsoever. No. But maybe as well as that, having reflected back in our conversation, you have achieved change there in quite a short time frame in terms of the mentality to refueling post-match. So maybe it was just an absence of knowledge in the GAA. Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing. It, it is. It's just it, nobody does malpractice. You know what I mean? It's players or, or practitioners. Like they often just work with what they know and it's not out of a place of malice. I... Um, I was highly intrigued this season in particular because I had players who like that who had had for the long haul and it's really fascinating when you're going through DEXA results or you're going through skinful results or depending on, on whatever uh, method I use given what the resources are at the time but you'd have a player and, and now he'd say to me yeah I'm after dropping a couple of percent oh, and I'm after dropping a couple of kilos I don't want it to be any lower than that you know, like we had a player who... That wouldn't have happened previously is what you're saying. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the culture was just, as you said, you know, it was, if can I get to single digits? And <laughs> single digits drives me crazy. I think it's ridiculous. Um, they want to look sexy as oh, well, Amy. <laughs> and you know what, that picture, and look, I think it was blown out of proportion, right, in, in a lot of ways, but a, a lot of us in the elite setups cringed, like wanted to just, for Twitter to shut down when the Limerick dressing room the hurlers were took pictures topless and even the goalkeeper had the six pack <laughs> and then you've you've got the you've got the you know the ones who are not like that in that shit and they're looking at themselves going you ever see that meme and it's like looking for your summer bod you know that kind of the baby but I, I was like that and i remember being at a conference with a load of other nutritionists and we were all like at lunch we're saying did you see that picture Jesus Christ, you know, a lot of, there was a lot, now my lads were grand, like they, they were, they were, you no, know, they commented on it, but they were just like, nah, we're absolutely, no, I have to say that the lads are, that I work with are in great Nick, they, their S&C coach is fantastic, they've really bought into the nutrition, they, they are in great shape, but for season one, the goal was to drop body fat because they came in like out of shape, mm-hmm. out of shape, then after that, then it has been a process of, gain muscle get the body fat to a level where like this this player who said to me I don't want to drop anymore he has had season after season of hamstring niggles constantly and we had a, a conversation about it myself and the SNC in the earlier stages of this season and we were saying I said I just don't think he's robust I actually don't think he's robust enough so we but we had to get the player to buy into that as well so bit by bit now he he had he the whole he went the whole season without getting injured it has never happened as long as i've been there you so know, saying to him at the moment in this state 
he's not robust enough, but we can get you to a state where yeah. you're going to be robust enough. Yeah, now we didn't say to the player, you're not oh, okay. robust yeah, enough. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. No. I was like, oh, wow. Now, sometimes I do. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I say to, you know, a, a little whippersnapper could come in from the under-20s and I'd say to him, I don't want like to, you know, I don't say to him, you don't have enough muscle or you don't have, mm. I'd say you're probably not robust enough for a senior at the moment, but we'll get there. Yeah, I love um, that sentence there, though, because it's, you're probably not robust enough as a senior at the moment. Yeah. So you've said, my perception is you're probably, you may be, I don't know, but yeah. also at the moment. So you have scope to improve and you will likely get better. And, and to be fair, with guys, you're they're, they're very aware if they can't, if they don't gain muscle at a fast rate or they, they struggle to gain muscle. Um, I have not, I've had players who said to me, I just cannot gain muscle Amy. And I just say, well, sit down and watch. And I'll say to him, I guarantee you by the end of the season, you'll have gained muscle. Like you do it consistently, you do it properly, you'll do it. Um, it's not impossible. But yeah, so this this particular player anyway, as I said, he he was uninjured for the whole year. Like played unbelievable. He was best player of this of the of the squad for the whole year. Um and it's it's great, it's great to see that. It's great to it's great to have the players. I'd hate, I'd hate to come into a team just for a year. You're not going to do it. You'll have beginner's luck. You'll have the principle of initial gains and diminishing return. You'll have all of that come in. But actually, if you want to have long-lasting changes, you, you have to be there for a couple of years. You know? And that player as well has bought in and saw the value in what he's been doing because, as you said, he hasn't mm. become injured. Um, and players talk. So they're saying in the dressing room, you know, they're, Jesus, you, no, I don't want to say that to you, but you haven't got injured or Jesus, you're after getting fairly big. What have you been doing? And he's, yeah, I, I check in there with Amy every week or I, I've been doing my S and C stuff. Like, oh, geez, I'm flat out in the gym whenever, I, you know, and then they're kind of coming, can I, Amy, can I arrange a check in with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or they're like going to the S and C, can I get a new program or, you know, or, or they don't even have to ask that thing. They just start to kind of row in you know um so it's like but in saying that though it all does come down to the management yeah. who's at the helm and do they buy into what your your philosophy is like i've been so so fortunate particularly with tip that the manager believed believes in the people he brings in but believes in whatever philosophy that they have you you chat to him about it um and when they buy in from the top the players are less likely to kind of waver off track because, but you do see it. I've seen it from colleagues of mine who work with teams where the manager treats their service as a tick the box and then the players will treat it as a tick the box. You know, so like, just say for example, um, this season, something as simple as we would sometimes have players that would travel to meet us in the hotel instead of coming on the bus because of where they live or whatever, or maybe where they're working. And... I tend to not give out to players on match day. I will rip them a new one at training, but on a match day, I tend to just leave it as football. But this, these three players kept consistently coming to the pre-match meal about five minutes late. Five minutes now, not a huge margin, but still five minutes. And the manager said to me... My players are laughing at the moment. What? My players that are listening are laughing at the moment yeah. when you said five minutes because I'm very much, if you're not early, you're late. This is the thing. So the manager said to me, because he knew I wouldn't say anything to them because it was a match day. But he said to me, you can 
you can say to them that if they're not here they're going to have to travel to Tipperary and get the bus up in future because five minutes late is five minutes late and that then you know it, it, it does like manifest into other things you know um so I did, you know, and, and but the example that the reason I'm using that example is just to show the level of buy-in. Another manager could be like, that's ah, only five minutes, you know. But it, the difference is, and very careful here, and I'm saying this for a reason, it was consistency and consistently five minutes late. Yeah. If it's a once-off five minutes or even a once-off 20 minutes mm-hmm. late and something's occurred, that is absolutely grand. Do not 100%. worry about it. Yeah. Like I heard on a podcast recently, uh, people giving out about there being no crack in club GAA anymore. And I heard about a lad that was 15, 20 minutes late and got a roasting when he got there. The issue isn't that the person is late on a once off. Like that's not club wide, nationwide. You're not going to be getting a roasting or a ribbon for being 20 minutes late once off. It's when you're consistently late because it's appraised as somewhat of a lack of respect for whoever's working with you as well as your teammates and a little bit yourself as well in that you're consistently not appraising that it is important to be here on time for the rest of the team and for yourself and for your coaches because your time is more valuable than someone else's um and that's when it kind of needs to be called but it's not a roasting or a ribbon or an of don't do that again or you're off the panel or whatever it's a conversation first and it's look is it possible for you to be here at an earlier time what would we have to do in order to get you here and it's guiding the athlete and helping the athlete to put themselves in a better position for success rather than goading them into doing it because they have to want to do it at the end of the day as well and if they don't want to do it then that's fine yeah yeah just don't bother well and look it does come down to like i just have an example in my mind now about two different players both of them used to arrive late if you know they were late like they were on time but they were late yeah one player would bust his gut to get to the pitch do you know because our dressing room is a little bit further away from the pitch but the other one would just saunter up like you're lucky to have me here yeah you know and it was really it's really funny though because this the player who sauntered up i remember the first meeting i ever consultation that i ever had with him and he knew it all he knew it all but yet his body fat was was really not where it needed to be. Um, he basically said to me, like, you know, what would it take for you to adjust these skinfold results on your laptop? <laughs> you know, this sort of a, come on, I'm a great footballer. You don't really need to. And that was probably my first um, kind of backlash at a player. Mm. I was like, sure, you know it all. Why are you bothered? Like, are you... You know, you know it all. And I was a bit more ill-tempered than I'm saying now, like, um, because I was kind of like, don't undermine me and don't undermine the service. And also don't... Undermine your teammates. Yeah. I was kind of saying, but sure, you know, why are you here? So... Yeah. You can play the game on your own. But he, to be fair, he kind of was like, he then, from that day on, had this huge respect because I just hopped off him. You know, you could don't don't we're not we're all here like for the same reason so don't let on your this higher god like um but it was funny though because when then in in other in other areas of the team they would still have found that that i just do my own thing i don't need and they were saying how did you get the buy-in from him well i wasn't going to say well chew him up and spit him out i wasn't going to say that's how it got there but you just had to know how to 
navigate, navigate around that, yeah. his ego. And then literally had the... You and know, then positive reinforcement to that ego later on. You're yeah. doing so well. Yeah. You're, you're amazing. You're great. You know, and you'd always have the joke. You'd say, but you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know you're doing well. Um, and I remember that first season, he was like, I remember giving him a target. And he was like, I remember the manager saying to me, Jesus, is that target? I said, he'll do it. And uh, lo and behold, he hit that target. He was so delighted. And actually where it came from, I actually think was the cockiness was masking the disbelief in himself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then when you have, when you feel like you're gathering momentum to prove yourself, you know, it was, it was fascinating. And he was, a, he was an incredible footballer. Like he was, and he was a great person to have in the dressing room, aside from the, the swagger that could come sometimes. But when you were able to kind of channel it in the right way, I've experienced with a lot of athletes like that and I've spoken about it on the podcast previously in that that mask can go up mm. because of insecurity. Yeah, yeah. I'm class. I'm deadly. I'm unreal. Look at me. I'm deadly. Yeah. And it's really like, oh, maybe I'm not deadly. I'll just let on that I think I'm deadly so that nobody questions it. Yeah. And then maybe I'll believe it in time. Whereas if that works for you, okay, but you probably intrinsically, internally need to change that a little bit and not have to fake it. So you want to change yeah. it within yourself as an athlete. Do the things that are going to increase the chances that you're going to feel confident. And then if you do those things and you feel more confident, then it'll probably manifest in a slightly healthier way than yeah. just fobbing off everybody else and telling everybody you're deadly all the time. Yeah, and you know what, though? I do think when, you're, when you are part of a squad that's led by a professional setup, that becomes found out very quick and you become very vulnerable. And that's okay because you also have the support for that too. You know, so it's... Yeah, you're, look, you're always going to find different characters. Like, I've been lucky. I've never worked on a team that where there's been divas or dickheads or, you know, I've never had too much of a challenge, like, in that re- respect. Like, I, I get challenged all the time and I love it, um, where players are asking you questions because they're enthusiastic and they're... But I've never had someone who thought re- that they thought they were too big for their thought boots. Thought they're above it. Yeah, yeah. Not nobody that I used to dread meeting them at training because I'd say, oh, I'll have to deal with this lad now or this girl now or, you know, I've been lucky. I don't know, is it that I have a personality that I'm just able to get around people, you know? Um, I had, like, before I, my one of my initial roles, like, I, I've been in management for a long time, you know, so I've been kind of used to dealing with people um, for a long time, whether it's, uh, from a ledger center perspective then classroom management is a different thing as well you know and now as my new role now like you're you're managing a whole department like so it's you know it's that's that's just i think it's just managing people is a strength yeah it's just something that kind of kind of but it's probably naturally. developed over time as well oh i'd say so yeah, yeah. i would i would definitely I, I think so my emotional intelligence has definitely improved and true experience yeah oh god yeah 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 so you and and that's that's life like you know me me in my 20s versus me in my 30s yeah a lot of difference i probably would have been a lot more i was definitely a lot more hot-headed in my 20s (laughs) don't worry i have Um, a question for you on that okay uh, topic later on but just to touch on what we spoke about there in regards to getting to training early um i thought it important to just reflect back on when we had Ronan McNamee on from Tyrone and he said the difference between club level and inter-county level if he could put a tangible difference and visible difference is he said at inter-county level 
everybody is present before training a half an hour before training and they get everything done prior to that and if you're less than a half an hour early you're late Mm. in county level whereas he said now he's with an intermediate club so he said sometimes lads would be rocking up two minutes to uh, the start of training or even two to five minutes after training they just kind of saunter up like you said so if you're a young athlete and you're thinking like I want and have ambitions to go on to the top here and being the best athlete that I can be that's some real low hanging fruit just get mm. to training a little bit earlier control the controllables exactly <laughs> like it's it's very simple. simple. And then from my conversations with Keen around Dublin, he said, if you're not out doing your few extras with Dublin, sorry, mate. Yeah, even within a squad, you know, you'd notice the players who are the elite of the, the cream of the crop, they're going to be in training. Like I'm there an hour beforehand. And I have one player that springs to mind, he's usually there at the same time as me, if not earlier. He's in, gets his bits done, grabs a bag of balls. He's up on the pitch doing his um he taking his his free kicks and doing his target practice um before even some other some other players are even arriving now even the, left probably the yeah gap. yeah and it, it is positional differences too you know um you don't always get time to have you know you to take your freeze you know from all the different angles and the different distances as you know as part of a training session you know um but there's some players that are that inspire everybody. Um, and there's the reason why they're all stars and they're, you know. But just even to focus on that, because as Amy has said, there are positional differences. From a an S coach that specializes in game speed and development of game speed, even if you're a defender or a back, there are things that you can get up to the field to do that are going to improve your game. And like when Amy says an hour there, sure, that athlete's on one side of the spectrum. But even if you can get up 15 minutes beforehand, do a tiny bit of extra agility or extra movement mechanics, whether it's speed, a microdose of change of direction, it's going to be beneficial, but it's not beneficial as a once-off. It's, as you can attest to, it's the consistency with how often you do it throughout the season that's going to pay off long-term. That's probably why that player has got to the level that he's got to, as yeah. you've alluded to. yeah. And he doesn't do anything crazy. No. Just does Sh- the simple things. Does and does it consistently. You're dead right. Um, you know, he's he's a super, super I I've very fortunate to have been able to work with him. Um yeah. So before we move on to quick fire questions, there is something that we were speaking about that I wanted to just touch on, and it is in relation to potentially the difference between endurance athletes and GA players and a very common occurrence in GA players in why they're under eating and under consuming calories and their energy availability is low. And it is especially, well, it is all amateur level. So they're training in the evenings. And as you alluded to, a lot of them do get affected by those Mm. intense training sessions and their appetite is low as a result. How big of an impact does that have on their performance long term do you believe given that you've alluded to the fact that that two hours post exercise is very very important for them in terms of fueling yeah so after and then actually sorry to interject but just on top of that then could you give us some practical yeah that's what i was going to yeah, actually okay, do perfect. I, I, was like, I could talk about the you know uh, the correlations and all that and I, that's no good to anybody yeah, you know okay, perfect. um sorry. unless you're a publishing house and you want to publish yeah, my yeah. paper um no so that two-hour window is a very 
difficult one sometimes, right? And because of, so the, the first thing that I would do is I would kind of say to players, if you don't have an appetite after training, eat your dinner at lunchtime. Because the Irish mentality, there's nobody told us that we have to have a meal as a certain size, but by God, do we just have it embedded into us. So generally we have like medium size, small to medium size breakfast, medium size lunch, large dinner, and that's how it works. So I'll tell the players to flip their dinner to lunchtime. So at least they're getting a higher amount of calories before they train. Then what we've started to do is we have, so I have a system where I work off recovery one and recovery two. Recovery one happens within 30 minutes. It's usually liquid based. And the reason for that is because they can't stomach food or solids. Um, so what I do is I, I'm fortunate that we have a budget that I can provide them with chocolate milk. Um, so they get Muju after training within 30 minutes. So they literally come in, drink their Muju, jump into the shower. Or even if they have their shower first and then they have their Muju, it doesn't matter. It's all within the 30 minutes. Um, at home then they're advised so even if it's a gym session I get them to do the same thing even though it's not the same energy output it's just consistency and habit so they would have either they'd have their chocolate muju they might have um, Avamore Pro Oats I have an awful awful bugbear against people drinking protein milk in re- for recovery because there's not enough in it right so I'll talk some of them will have muju and protein milk no no I'm saying <laughs> no so the bloody marketing is so annoying because everyone thinks that if I okay I'm going to drink milk after training I'll drink protein milk because I'll get more protein in they don't understand that actually you need double at least double the amount of carbs to protein in order it's like it's like um, having a load of building blocks there but having no transport to bring it to the muscle if you don't have enough carbohydrates so protein milk on its own is not enough you need to pair it with a cereal bar or a banana or some kind of high carbohydrate food if you have muju, it's bang on, three to one. If you have pro oats, which have additional um, powdered oats put in there, you have two to one. So muju is actually the king. Pro oats would be second. And, and then, it's the nicest. Isn't it? uh, yeah. Now, some of the lads, they do love the vanilla pro oats. Um, oh, yeah, so, nice. But the other thing as well they could have is they could have like, you know, like a Glenisco 20 yogurt or something. So it's semi-solid, right? So they have that within 30 minutes. Then after training, we normally have some kind of a dinner, right? It's not my favorite approach, but I did this year try and have a hybrid where they have a light, like it could be wraps, it could be sandwiches, it could be where they can pick them if they want, or they can have a dinner. But actually what was starting to happen was, is more consistently as the players were back training three times a week with us, we'll say on the pitch, their appetites were gradually getting bigger and bigger. So they were no longer going for just the lighter option they actually wanted the dinner and what they did was they had their their bigger meal at lunch at lunchtime and then they'd have their their post training so uh, do they sit down and have that dinner yeah together? together okay yeah now there are players who do have to kind of grab and go and i deal with them as on a case-by-case basis so they get their muju they may get their lads and balna uh, in Ballina. <laughs> yeah, well, a good bit away. Is yeah, what I mean. well, like, it's not too bad actually when no? they're based in Thurles. Okay. Because Clamell is the same distance. Either side. Either side, okay. yeah. So it's actually not too bad. Thurles is very, very central. Do many of the players travel from a different county then? Yeah. For training? So we'd have so. Dublin based players. Ah, okay. And we've Cork based players as well. So they would more so be the ones um, that they would have something different. So they might choose to actually bring 
the dinner with them in a lunchbox and they'll have that for their lunch the next day and then they might actually have wraps or sandwiches to have in the car with them but we deal with that on a case by case basis depending on what the player wants to actually eat or doesn't want to eat um so that from a practical side of things that's what we put in to try and make sure um and then i they're very they're very well educated around you know i have group sessions with them but i also do one-to-one check-ins with them um every month i meet with every player once on their own now i'm at every training session as well so we talk about loads of things all the time um but that's the kind of that's the system that we put in to try and avoid that fasting within that two hours um so i like (laughs) the the footballers in particular um are they eat so much they eat so much like the bus driver who works with loads of different teams actually said that he couldn't get over how much they ate they're just and they're big units like they're they're big chaps um, more contact i suppose yeah and they, like, they just they like yeah they do they do of course they do have more contact but they need to be more robust as well and they also were just at a stage where we are they're, they're bigger chaps they're athletes like you know we don't believe in the the skinny is beautiful <laughs> um kind of approach they're they're lean they have you know they are lean don't get me wrong but they're they're big units and they enjoy they enjoy eating and i enjoy feeding them so <laughs> it, it, it works really well it keeps you going for sure yeah. but to tie that in with what we've spoken about already it's one problem but what you've done is you've identified multiple different solutions yeah. they're taught like there are so many different options there for the athletes and they'll have autonomy within those options so they can choose what works for them mm-hmm. so e- even though it's the one problem that a lot of athletes and ga players are faced with there's no one size fits all but there are kind of kpis we should be looking for in regards to what we're consuming and when we're consuming it post training yeah and, and actually where that also comes into play is for carb loading so carb loading is a big thing that they don't like ga players tend not to do right so as much as it can be a bit of a, oh, it can be a strain, you know, when you're working like myself, like I work nine to five Monday to Friday and then we could have a game up the north. So when you're playing football, hurling is not as bad because you're kind of, con- you're condensed into, into Munster for so long. Um, football is 32 counties. So you could be playing up the north. And if you're playing up the north, you're probably leaving on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, um, you know, to get to travel out of the way and relax and whatever and then you play at two o'clock on a Sunday but it's really good for me as a nutritionist because what I can do when I have done is I've shown the players what it feels like to have carb loaded properly you know so I will like they'll they'll eat every three hours like they're like little babies you know so they will eat every three hours it will be very carb based um, and they understand then this is how I should actually feel when I have a home game, when I don't have Amy follow me around. And 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 to be fair, the lad, they've said it. They've been like, Jesus, actually, you know, it's actually great. I know the away games are a bit of a dose, but it's great because you you feed us and, you know, but the home games then, they'd, they'd all, in their check-ins, they'll say, I'm kind of struggling to get that much into me. And we and then we plan it out and we say, okay, well, what do you normally have? Okay, well, why don't we add, and, say, and this is my biggest philosophy is, do not reinvent the wheel. So what we do is he they will he'll do out his his um food diary as such. We'll do twenty four hour recall. We'll go through it all, and I'll say you can still have your porridge breakfast, but let's add this and this to it. 
you can still have your scrambled egg at lunchtime, but let's add this to it. You can still have your lasagna, but let's add this to it. Let's put some Lucasade Sport in here. Let's put some jellies. Let's put some bananas, you know, and try and bulk it out. But you're still having the same meal psychologically. That they like, yeah. You That's going to put them in the, the right position psychologically because exactly. they have their routines their they, so they're, i'm still doing my i'm just adding a little bit more um so that's that that's something that what i like i really think that if you if you are lucky enough to be in a position to show them what it what should happen and so that they know how that feels physically like if you've carb loaded properly you should actually be not you you would not be able to wait to play because you want to burn off those carbs you know um and and if you feel like that like not so much now that you're going to get a cramp you know so we wouldn't have heavy heavy food on the on the day of the match but the day before like they'd be eating and eating and eating drinking and you know drinking carbohydrates and calories as well um but if you can show them how it's meant to feel then they have something to gauge it against when they're doing it themselves and they there's that you're building that trust all the time and i feel like this podcast has literally it's been centered around players having trust in you and you having trust in your players um and it's a two-way street. You, you, they have to be honest with you, and you have to be honest with them. But you also have to provide them with the tools, with the education that they can make fully informed decisions. And it sounds very athlete and individual sensor or centered as well, which is obviously the goal. But to- tons of nuggets in there for all GA players in regards to both post-training and pre-match fueling, which is, which are probably the most commonly asked questions for my athletes that. We have been, we have had Kate and Alistair come in and present and, and do Q&As on those topics as well, which mm. has been invaluable. But we want to move on to quickfire questions now. So the first one is proudest achievement to date. Um, I know I should have really prepped these better. You don't need to. I'm very sorry. You're all good. <laughs> um, well, look, Jesus, I think anyone who's done a PhD, like in terms of a personal achievement, um, it's an incredible feat. I had really enjoyed mine. There's people who really hate, hate doing theirs and it was torturous. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that it was so practical. Um, I My supervisor team were amazing. Like, they're just I've been so lucky. Um, and the findings that came from it were so, like, practically applicable, which has helped me in my, you know, my... my I wouldn't call me working as a nutritionist my career as such it's it's my hobby it's my passion do you know and but in your practice in my practice yeah yeah it's uh it's, it's it's really really helped me um from a professional level like being involved with the tip senior footballers when they won the monster final um that was definitely one of the like i can't even te- like i can't even tell you now what the feeling was like it's still if i watch the game back like i'd be crying watching it you know they're being involved with them has been has been incredible and it was an interesting time as well because all eyes were on it yeah because of the situation that we found ourselves in yeah i was going to say as a country but as a world like a hundred percent yeah and i think also to be able to give your county that hope and that feeling of accomplishment when there was nothing to do or nowhere to go and for them to be able to watch it from their sitting room and hang in their their expectations and their their hopes on this team like to be fair the hurlers are amazing you know but and they've had so much success and it's nearly expected of them you know which which carries its own burden and its own weight but for the footballers to be able to bring that pride and joy like what they did for the county is i don't think 
because of the situation with COVID, I don't think they, they'll even realise what they actually did um, for the county. So to be part of that was a really big achievement, and I have to say. Given the anniversary as well and the time, like it was, Lee couldn't write it like. Oh, it was, it was unreal. And like we played in the All-Ireland semi-final against Mayo and like we missed eight goal chances and Connor Sweeney or Michael Quinlevin were at the end of, of a pass going, on, going through on goal. I would have put my house on it you know that they'd have scored it just didn't work out on the day but it was there was a freezing fog and I'll never I remember, forget yeah. Connor having to put up the wreath for the for the anniversary and it was the most spine tingling experience ever it was so surreal it was so surreal um but yeah no it was it was so incredible yeah favorite athlete of all time I actually really don't know. You're going to upset someone if you pick one of your players. <laughs> I won't pick any of the players. Um, uh, well, oh, a, f- a favourite athlete to work with, actually, is one of the players. Um, and people will probably go, of course, you didn't pick him. Connor Sweeney is one of the most inspiring players I've ever worked with. He's exactly what... If he listens back to this now, I'm going to be crucified, tortured, <laughs> slagged to death. You're going to be slagged anyway. Absolutely. But he's just one of those, he just leads by example. He doesn't, he's he's a really good leader, Um, but also he's exactly what you want in a player who trusts the system, also holds himself accountable Um, for, for things, but and, and is not unrealistic. So, you know, he's not unrealistic in his expectations of himself or of the service or and actually, to be fair, he's just such um, a soldier for tip football. He's he's carried the the, the flag, you know. He's 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 an all star and well deserved it as well. Um, he but he's just really good guy to actually to work with. Um, I think regardless of what sport it was, and there are people you want to work with. Yeah, yeah, and he's he leads as I said, he leads by example. He's a role model. Um, he he just he's just an athlete. He lives in it. He breathes it. Um, but it's. Yeah, he, he's just great to work with. So he's, he's one of my favourite players to work with. In terms of my favourite player, I, so I played basketball growing up. Um, and I think you could probably pick so many different NBA players. Michael Jordan wasn't my favourite player. I would say no, he wasn't. Um, he was probably before my time. But I would say Dwayne Wade, actually, from Miami Heat, was one of the better players. I thought he, he soldiered on with Miami Heat when... Um, there was no other no big success, players yeah. until Shaq came in and um, yeah so look in terms of I probably should have picked a female Katie Taylor always springs to mind Katie Taylor always comes up in the podcast yeah yeah and I think there's some um, current athletes out there that you know Rachel Blackmore has done things that no no jockey has done male or female you can't look past you know Serena and Venus Williams um, even you know like a national um, level you know Adelecki like amazing um, and only getting started Sarah Lavin like after everything she's after going I through know. you know like there's and it and, and there's only there's it, it's we're, we're not even on the, t- the cusp of the wave for what the Irish female athletes can do so I think it's a really exciting space to be in and that's why it's so powerful that you're working in research because like from having Chloe Mustaki on, that's what she said was the major difference was there's not enough research. That's yeah. where the, the money needs to go. That's where the resources need to go. And then if there is more research, there'll be more for the practitioners to fall back on and they'll be able to deliver a higher level of service. Yeah. What's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? 
Um, well, I've had such a transition from lecturing, really heavily involved in practice. Now I'm head of department, a lot of things had to kind of fall by the wayside a little bit. Um, and I think probably what I've learned is that I can't do it all and I don't have to do it all. So if you've listened to any other podcasts I've been on, it's been like, oh God, you're doing this, you're doing a PhD, you're you know, you're you're you own a gym, you're a nutritionist, you're working with intercounty teams, you're a lecturer, you're blah 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 blah. And one of the questions I've always been asked is how do you manage your time? And I I managed it really poorly. As in I I did it. I was very like military operation, but I didn't give myself time. You know, so I was always very ambitious, always very career driven, hated having sp- spare time, would fill it up, hated saying no to people. Um but actually now I only have one team that I work with and I have a job, I manage a department and it's really demanding. And it's meant that I just don't have the time to do anything else um, because I'm I really value self-care now. And I, you know, so that's what the last 12 months has taught me is that it doesn't, just as I was saying about players, you know, identifying as, as athletes, Athlete, yeah. I would have identified as someone who worked a lot and was productive and I wouldn't have saw my own value if I wasn't being productive. That doesn't happen now. You know, I'm quite happy to take time off when I need it or, you know, and I really enjoy working with the team and I really enjoy my job. So the fulfillment that I've gotten in the last 12 months without running myself into the ground. I suffered with burnout a lot. Hasn't happened at all this year. So, you know, you can, I think you don't have to be juggling everything. Um, And I'm so lucky that I, the job I have in terms of, I get to do things that I love. I get to change the direction of things. I get to have a bit of autonomy in how the education system is going to start looking. Um, and it's really brilliant to be at that that side of things, developing new practitioners in lots of different areas and working with such a good team. So And feeling like you're making a difference. Yeah, and that's why we all get into these roles, is to make a difference. That's a really powerful message, but you're cutting a little bit too close to the bone. <laughs> with that, so yeah, definitely it's something that I'll need to practice a little bit more. And sometimes you go one side of it and then you come yeah. back and you go back one side of it and then you come back. Um, and it's something that you navigate you're going to have periods where like you had a period when you were in the new role when you were learning about the new things that you were doing that was probably very stressful yeah and it probably took a lot of effort but then once you had that done there will be a period where you could have more time for self-care but Mm. it sounds like more of a non-negotiable for you now that I need to look after myself to put myself in the best position that I can be the best manager be the best nutritionist be the best wife yeah that I can be yeah yeah 100% and you're right like so I've been lecturing for I don't know seven eight years when I got this role so I was like a pro at you know as in you're very experienced with nutrition I've been doing that for the last decade you know so again that's something that's very natural to me so to come into a role that I wasn't certain of and make mistakes every single day was so hard like, but you had to make them. Had to make them. And actually what happened very, very quickly was I would reach out for help all the time because I didn't know who to go to about this, who to go to about that. And I spent the first number of months developing relationships within the organization. So I had been initially based here in Thurlis. So whereas my role is predominantly in Limerick, you know, I, sp- I split myself between the two, but I didn't know people down there. 
And it's a mat like TUS is a huge organization. Like our faculty alone has two two and a half thousand students. Like it's huge. So I had to like get to know people outside of my own little lecture room bubble where there was eight of us. You know, me and me and other lady and the rest were all guys. Like we had our own little and, and being like the one who teaches nutrition and physiology and all the nerdy things. Um, you know, so my whole kind of persona changed to having to broaden and having an idea of everything. Like the so my department is the Department of Sport and Early Childhood. So I have all the sports courses, but I also have early childhood in there as well. And I was like, oh, what? I don't have a clue about how this runs. So you make loads of mistakes. And it's it's um it's lovely to be in a vulnerable position and to be able to learn. I can say that now, maybe That's at the time. That's you do learn. Yeah, position. you have to be okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. Because it'll come back and bite you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So the question I was alluding to, and the one you've been waiting for, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Ah, you know what? I'd love to be able to say that I'd say, take more time for yourself. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. But what I would say is, is network. Don't be afraid to ask for help which some it actually disguises itself as networking as well. Um, if you ask people for help, whether it's someone who's on the same level as you or someone in a more senior position, whether it's someone who's, you know, someone who's a practitioner for years um, or someone who's the same as you, it never comes across like you don't know or that you're stupid or that you're incompetent. What actually comes across is that you're very brave to even ask for help. And when you're 18, like you've got the, you know, you do have that Dunning-Kruger effect to an extent, you know, and you don't want to ask and you're very... In order. You're, yeah, and your self-esteem is not able for... You're, you're picturing someone saying, you don't know that. The vulnerability. Yeah. Um, so that's probably what I, what I would say to my 18-year-old self is ask for help, ask for advice. I am now a very confident person, but I probably was shyer you know and not as good at networking whereas now I'm just so used to being around people that you know kind of comes with the territory um but you uh, you can still be and, and you know what though there's no regrets I have either because I do think that humble side of me and always wanting to know more and always willing to learn and feeling like I didn't know it all helped me to be who I am today that I'm more sure but I also but I'm also sure that there's more things I need to know as well like I'm, I'm actually this like one day a week now I'm doing a course um doing more on kind of FODMAP stuff now I can do it every day if I want but I just have dedicated one day a week to do it um because it's something that's an area that I'm like very interested in that do I have to do it no I don't but will it help me yeah it probably will um there's loads of things that you could be constantly improving on but actually where you learn more is by talking to people putting yourself out there and that is a great way to end the podcast. Great Thank message. You. Thanks, William. Amy. Thanks very much. This podcast was brought to you by Output Sports. Output Sports make athlete testing and monitoring simple, portable, and efficient. Their single sensor tool enables the measurement of over 160 exercises spanning agility, speed, power, mobility, reactive strength, and more. I've been using Output Sports technology with my athletes for the last couple of years and I would recommend them to any strength and conditioning coaches, any physiotherapists or any practitioners looking to level up their quality of service. Contact Output Sports today if you're interested in doing so.